you got any ideas for the cold open? Not really, no. No. I was hoping maybe yeah. something would come up organically during the during the, the recording, yeah. but I can't really think of anything. No, I can't. Should we just not bother with one? Yeah, fuck it, yeah. <laughs> that rant about D D got us well over the what I consider a, a decent length. So just, just leave this bit in. A Frontier. These are the voyages of the podcast Captain's Slug. Its ongoing mission to explore strange new episodes, to seek out new jokes and new references, to split infinitives that no one has split before. Captain Slug, Stardate 50. These are the continued voyages of Eddie Edwards and his colleague and friend, Mr. Mark Bench, as we trek our way through all of uh, Star Trek Next Generation. Mark, how you been? Yeah, been well. Uh, Laura went to Ireland for the week. Oh. So I've been in the house by myself. Uh, Not a lot has changed, to be honest. I don't... (laughs) I mean, obviously, I miss my fiance, but the, <laughs> my behaviour hasn't changed in any way, which makes me wonder, just on a hypothetical, like <laughs> experimental level, like how 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 long? I I think I think I would notice that she wasn't here, run about like eight thirty p.m. right of a Monday if she left. I'd notice, <laughs> but she's also. Um, I'm not. I'm not calling her out, right? If anything, I respect this about her. She's, she's not a great replier, on messages. Um, so, I. What I'm saying is, I'd probably notice that my fiance was missing, but I, it would, it would, it would take a while before I'd be like, "What's going on here?" Is so. What Mark's saying there is that any point you listen to this podcast, there is a chance that Laura is dead. Um, and we're just unaware of it. I don't like. I'd probably report her missing. I'd give it twenty four hours. I know that. I know that TV like tells you that you have to wait twenty four hours, but that's not true. Yeah, that's not true. That's clear that up. Anybody listening, if somebody you think has gone missing, you could report that at the moment you suspect it. But I'd still, but I'd still wait the twenty four hours just because I'm like, well, she's probably busy. Um. So. Yeah, what I'm saying is, Laura, if you get kidnapped, uh, let me know, because it it will um, <laughs> it will help me react to that faster. <laughs> or, or more accurately, if you're listening to this and you intend kidnapping Laura, um, make sure you message Mark with ransom. Yeah, you know, in a reasonable reasonable time scale. What I'm what uh, I'm saying <laughs> is, um, if I had been the McCanns, Madeline would be alive. <laughs> To be fair, I think what you said there isn't particularly controversial because um, what a lot of people forget about the uh, McCanns is it's a textbook case of child neglect and if they weren't middle class, they would have gone to prison. So Classic. really, 
if yeah, if they if poor people had lost their baby in Portugal, uh, the only reason that you'd still see their face every on the news would be because they were announcing that they'd been released from prison. That's, that's or every really... every year the, the Daily Mail would use them as the poster child for. We're paying. We're giving these scroungers so much in in benefit money that they were able to afford a, ho- a, a holiday to Portugal. Yeah, a holiday to Portugal. But you know, to be fair, only only two plane tickets would need to be a return, wouldn't they? So yeah. they might have saved money there. And uh, yeah, all right. Look, the child that they lost was white, which obviously is a tragedy for all of us. But <laughs> at the same time, I bet I bet they've got a massive TV. <laughs> Genuine question, right? I've, because I know this. This is this is this might be a bit heavy going, but fuck it, I'm going to ask anyway. At what point do you stop wishing that your child is alive? Because there is a point <laughs> where if okay, what I was I saying is if she's alive now, right? She has gone through an unbelievable decade of pain and misery. Yeah, probably far greater. Like there, there comes a point where you've got to hope that she's dead. Surely. Rather than whatever horrifying thing would have happened. People often ask me, Mark, why do you never advertise your podcast? Um, <laughs> and my response is, well, to be honest, if I ever actually make it, this is this is straight in the bin. Like every episode of this is fucking <laughs> deleted from every hard drive it's ever seen, and it's it's shit like that really that's that's going to be the cause. Um, <laughs> I was actually thinking of something earlier, right, <laughs> about about this episode specifically, because there's some there's some quite heavy themes in this episode. Like this episode, yeah. it, it kind of boils down to what is the value of a life. Um, yes, and there's a specific line that I was going to that, that made me think of a, of a thing to do with uh, as as always the Third Reich. Um, <laughs> And there was a sentence that I came up with in my head where I was like, right, I'm going to have to be very careful about how I phrase that sentence because that'll be a soundbite that they'll definitely be able to use against me. <laughs> and I'll, do you know what? I'll get, it, I'll get it out of the way right now, right? Because it's the idea that after World War II, when all the, we rounded up all the monsters that we could find and decided to punish them, there was an issue... Uh, with international law, which at the time, as you probably know, didn't really exist. So the yeah. the difficulty came in, how do we punish people for doing something that in the country that they were in at the time, i.e. Nazi Germany, wasn't illegal? Like, they, yeah. by, the, by the place that they lived in, purely just by that book of law, they didn't do anything... Not to say they obviously did do things wrong, but they didn't necessarily do things that were illegal based on their own on their own legality. Yeah, yeah, and that, that is... kind of comes up in this episode. Yeah, in a in a mm, that's yeah. Mm, I really let's just jump into it. Um, right, the, this the, is the survivors. The, the, right, yeah. The plot of this episode is there's been a, a distress signal from uh, a planet, and when they get there. Um, it's basically been Independence Day. Um, everybody's gone except for one house and two people. And it's a classic um, Star Trek premise, which is uh, this old guy seems nice and friendly. All know he's a god, uh, which happens surprisingly frequently in in Star Trek. Yeah. Um, and it's like he was pretending to be a human. He met a woman. He fell in love. He was going to live out a full human life with her and then go back to being an immortal space being. Um, 
but instead uh, aliens turned up and murdered everybody on the planet, uh, so including the wife. So he was like making a copy of her as well as the house. And then at the very end of the episode, you find out that his reaction to having his wife killed was because oh, okay, literally. I make notes when we're watching. Oh yeah, when I'm watching Star Trek, just just a couple of pages, just a, I'm a notebook of my Back to the Future notebook that I uh, just pop some stuff in. And um, he said the name of the aliens that attacked them, and I was like, oh, I missed that. I haven't had a chance to write that down. And then about two lines later, I was like, oh, never mind, uh, <laughs> <laughs> because his response was he lashed out and killed them all, yeah. um, as in all of them, as in fifty billion, whatever they are. Yeah. All of them everywhere, which means that at one point, a few years ago, a couple of them were drinking in a bar and then all of a sudden just ceased to exist. They got Thanos, essentially. <laughs> yeah. And you'd think 50 billion, someone would be like, uh, Starfleet, uh, yeah, hi, it's yeah. Jen here. Oh, hey, 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 how you doing, Sandra? Yeah. How are the kids? Yeah, that's good. Did you, did you enjoy your holiday? Yep. Anyway, listen, I've got something to tell you. Um, an entire species seems to have spontaneously disappeared without trace. Yeah. Yeah, they specifically mentioned that it's 50 billion as well. Yeah, so yeah. it's not like a small one. No. Nah. And he, I mean, he does he does specifically say that they were evil, but he's also the person who just genocided them. So I'm not certain if we should take his word for that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and also, he's an immortal being whose name is Kevin. Yeah. Okay. Um, so. I, 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 I want to address as we start this I want to start by addressing what is the last four minutes of the episode essentially which includes um, him confessing that he wiped out all of these people to Picard and Picard says we are not qualified to be your judges we have no law to fit your crime it's genocide, John Luke. It's, it's that yeah. we, 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 you must have laws in space year twenty whatever. I, you cannot have gone. Oh no, we just decided to legalize. We got rid of the laws against genocide. Yeah, because <laughs> if anything, those laws, because the, the Federation is built essentially on human ideals to an extent. So those yeah. laws would have been directly informed by that thing that I brought up earlier. <laughs> <laughs> which was them going how should we yeah. punish people for a genocide like yeah. like at no point like at, at, at no point like if this had, had been a, a longer episode maybe they'd go to to data and data would be like well there's this thing that you might not have heard about that happened between 1932 <laughs> and 1945 in germany and anyway. i mean you're french on like you should be they should have been taught to you in school yeah exactly <laughs> and then he says i don't know whether to like what is it i don't know whether to he actually says, I don't know if we should... He, Picard suggests that maybe what he did was admirable. Because I guess what he's saying is like, oh, for love, you were willing to do a, go do this crazy thing. But that crazy thing was a genocide. Like, if Hitler had done what he did for love, yeah. right? You know, if like a, a Jewish person had killed the woman he loved, we wouldn't be okay with the Holocaust. No. <laughs> I don't... I, but... If this lad, if the if the the beings that attacked his planet had been the Borg, and he and he just went, I'll just wipe out the Borg. What would what do you think Starfleet would have done then? 
Because the Borg is an, it's, it's, that's an insurmountable threat. Yeah. As far as far as we're aware, I think that the late at the latest point in the timeline, which I think is maybe Picard, at the moment, the Borg have become somewhat like like deal withable. <laughs> yeah. Like we can we we if one appears, we can we can handle it. But they're still the most dangerous thing out there in the universe at yeah. our level. Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah. It's, so I don't. But 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 this is the important thing though, Mark, because I, I agree with you. Maybe you could kind of did the Borg even count as a species? Yep. There's like three, but but it wasn't the Borg. <laughs> no, it was a sentient. Because all it's, all I'm going to say is right. Okay, there may be there can't the entire species can't have been evil. Like yeah, there must exactly. have been like four dudes who were like like just if like everybody else died out now. Like, oh, well, thank God they're gone. I can finally get on with a painting. Yep. You know. <laughs> well, it's uh, six PM, and you're listening to two white dudes with beards discussing the pros and cons of ethical genocide. <laughs> so I'm I'm very much on. So to to like cross the streams with other science fiction, there is a Doctor Who episode famously called "The Birth of the Daleks," um, where um, the Doctor is in the room when the Daleks are being created. And as a result of that, there is a point where he is holding two wires, and if he touches them together, it will stop the process, and the Daleks will not only not exi- like be wiped out, they would never have existed in the first place. And he literally decides, well, no, that's that's genocide. Just by... So I can't... Because if, if even like one or two Daleks in the, all of Dalek history have the capacity to possibly maybe be good, then this is a monstrous act and I can't do it, yeah. even though the Daleks are themselves monstrous. So I'm very much... I, 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 this might not be a popular opinion, Mark, but I'm against genocide. <laughs> <laughs> and also, if he had done that, we wouldn't have gotten the, this scene in, in Russell T. Davis's run with... Um, Eccleston, where he where he utters one of the like one of my favourite lines in all of Doctor Who, which is when he, they're on the Dalek ship, and he's talking to the sort of envoy of the Emperor, and he's and he's I can't remember the exact wording, but he says something like, "Do you know what they call me in the annals and the apocrypha and the ephemera of the Dalek homeworld, the oncoming storm?" Like that, <laughs> that fucking that line is so badass, um, and we would never have got it. If so, you're right; it's worth it. All those lives. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. It's yeah, but that yeah. I just can't get my head around a genocide happens, and they're all like, "Oh, can you undo what you did to Troy?" Yeah. And now, get. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad that you brought up Troy. I think this was a great Troy episode. Um, first thing I want to great Troy episode. Also, a great Wharf episode. Yeah, great, great Wharf stuff. Um, Wharf. Both Worf and Troy are getting promoted. We're bringing back the promotion thing for this episode where we remember to do it. Um, did you notice that there was a wee extra seat on the bridge for Beverly at the beginning? Uh, no. Yeah, there was four seats. Beverly just okay. sat down on, on one of the arms. Um, so, I'm glad you I brought like up Troy, right? She came in, and like, for, after an entire season of making Pulaski stand, Beverly's there. Because, like, get her a chair. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um... I'm glad you brought up Troy, because something that I was thinking about during this episode that I feel like they maybe could have gone a little bit further into is that just, I wrote down this question, 
is having an empath on board uh, when dealing with alien races more useful than an actual mind-reading psychic would be? Because to piggyback off something that Troy talked about in the earlier episode when she was like, how do you think that we use alien languages? Like, what this is this thing. Do you know what I'm talking about? Is that if you just had a mind-reading psychic, they would be able to read the minds of, say, the Klingons and be like, oh, these guys are murderous. Let's, let's fucking, let's proton torpedo the shit out of them immediately. But having an empath on board gives you more the ability to be like, oh, these people talk a big game, but what? But that's not really how their <laughs> minds work. Like, it, do you remember when he said, "I will stab you in the eyes"? Like, that's like a term of endearment for them. Yeah. yeah. I, so I, I think that could be. There's a there's a f- old philosophical concept which is um, the idea that if you could teach a lion English, you still wouldn't be able to understand it because all of its frame of reference and it's what it how it would talk and everything it wouldn't have any crossover with human experience so you it, it, it would be useless and i think you were right there that like being able like even if you had a full-on psychic and it's like oh i can read what the the minds of the klingons what they're saying it's like oh, I, don't, I don't speak klingon uh, <laughs> you, you you need a telepathic universal translator which is once you've got that you don't need a telepath yeah right <laughs> so yeah so i do think that maybe the empath is more useful as well. Uh, yeah, I think... Because, yeah, Troy's... Like, that's the thing in this, is, like, the, the the super being is, like, Kevin, the god. is like, <laughs> having trouble... Uh, and thinks Troy's going to get inside him, so he just puts this, like, repeating music in her head, and she goes... Uh, uh, basically, slowly insane. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which is, is horrible. No, I don't want a victim blame, right? Because obviously what happens to Troy is pretty horrible. But she kind of keeps it to herself for, like, quite a while. Um, And I feel like if she has one job, it's to report that type of stuff. Like, she starts having the issues and she gets up at, like, the uh, conference things. Like, oh, I just feel bad. I've got to go. Yeah. And leaves. And I was like, everybody in this ship is an idiot. She's always right. And then Picard turned up in her, like, room and was like, are you all right? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and then she was like, no, I'm, I'm going insane. There's music that won't stop in my head. Uh, and it was like, well, take a sleep. And Picard's like, oh, I, Picard, Picard's like, well, I don't want that sleep. You know, if you ever listen to Call Me Maybe, like you can't, <laughs> you can't get, it's in there for hours, mate. If you ever listen to the DuckTales theme tune, it'll be stuck in there forever, mate. And Troy's like, no, you clearly don't understand a woman going slowly insane. That's something I want in Star Trek. Now that you've still said it, it's like, you know, with all these Star Trek captains, they're always listening to classical music and stuff like that. It'd be, I'd love just once they're going to like, like going to the, uh, some Star Trek, going to the captain's quarters and he's just got Shake It Off playing. And it's like, what's this? Yeah. Oh, Taylor Swift, I'm a big Swifty. Uh, love all the albums. Yeah. Yeah, because it, it is like, like, obviously I understand why. Like, it's because we are watching these people in the future, but we have to be able to relate to them. So we yeah. know that if someone is into classical music in old movies, they're probably fairly cultured. But yeah. then they, they bring that in, don't they? Because like Trip on Enterprise, I've never really watched Enterprise, but I know that Trip is like quite into old movies, like specifically 2D on screen movies. Yeah. Um and and it's kinda of like, oh well he he must be quite cultured because he likes old black and white shit. And then um the two guys on the Harry Kim and, and his mate on Voyager, Paul, somebody Duncan Neal, 
Oh, uh, Paris. Paris, right. Paris is super into movies. Again, from what I understand, I've never really watched Voyager. But he prefers to do them in the holodeck. Yeah. So, so Paris, it needs to be pointed out, is into... His list of like specific things he's into is incredibly long because nobody on Voyager was keeping track of... like. He might be the most qualified man in all of Starfleet because... Voyager is quite poorly written, yeah, and it seems like they they their spinner wheel. Who is this relating to? Thing landed on Paris for pretty much everything. <laughs> like Harry Kim can play the clarinet and Chakotay boxes. That's it. Everything else is Paris. It's like at one point he fixes up an old Earth car they find in space. Yeah, why don't not? ask. Uh, <laughs> it's like so. Oh, this is an old curve car. No, they want to hover one. He knows all about how the combustion engine works. And it's like, why would that not be the hobby of your fucking engineer? <laughs> to be fair, I can relate to that as as a man with far too many hobbies. Um, <laughs> like, yeah, it, it's it's. I get it, but no, you're right. It's it, I imagine like if Star Trek, if our Earth progression, right, as God willing, it will leads us to Star Trek. We will probably go with what they have, right? It will probably be like a naval command structure. We'll have like the captain and the commanders and blah blah blah. We'll have a counselor that makes sense. We'll probably have a much more deeper understanding of how mental health works by then, etc., etc., etc. But one thing that they don't seem to ever really have on Starfleet ships is like a pop culture expert. Because, <laughs> like, yeah, you could go to Data and be like, uh, Data, tell us all about Sherlock Holmes, and he'll tell you all about Sherlock Holmes, but he wouldn't necessarily be able to tell you the impact or effect that Sherlock Holmes had on the human condition. Whereas a pop culture expert would be able to take things, like, of their time and be like, oh, this is what it means. So, all of these aliens, right, are dressed up like it's a scene from Men in Black 2. And. <laughs> You could say if you if you get data, he'll be like, "Oh, this is from this movie." Here's how we understand that. But your pop culture expert would be like, "Ah, see, what's happening with these people is that they had a once great civilization where they were all a scene from Men in Black One, um, <laughs> but but something went really tits up, and now they're a scene from Men in Black Two. Although the theme tune, arguably better." <laughs> oh, that's a bold argument. Black suits common is superior to the Men in Black theme tune. I've made this. I've made this opinion apparent on many occasions, and I hold it to be true. Are you? Are you trying to remember it? <laughs> I'm no. I'm going to put forward my very specific argument of the exactly one scene in Men in Black One and Men in Black Two that do the same thing, but one is demonstrably a million times better than the other. The end of Men in Black zooms out and the galaxy is in a marble that's being played with by an alien. Oh my god, how vast and wonderful is the universe that we do not understand. At the end of Men in Black 2, they kick open a door and it reveals that our our reality is inside a locker inside a train station filled with aliens, which doesn't make any fucking sense, wouldn't work and doesn't convey anything. It's just there because that's how you had a, you had a, something like that at the end of the first one, and you thought you had to do it again. It does. Fuck Men in Black Two. I hate that movie. To defend uh, Men in Black Two, that is a callback to something earlier in the movie. Yeah, but it's a shit one. Yeah, no, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> um, right. Here, question: um, How exactly do the com badges work, and is it dangerous to just give them out to any old Randall? 
Yeah, that's a good question. Because they give one it's... to Kevin, Kevin the genocider. Kevin the undying yeah. genocider. <laughs> or his, or his, his construct wife. And the, Riker just whips it off his chest and goes, do you know how to use one of these? And she's like, yeah. He's like, right, we'll be in the system for a bit. Like, gives a shout if anything goes wrong. But what, what how, you call him Kevin the undying genocider, Mark? You make him sound somewhat sinister. Because <laughs> <laughs> I don't, like, how do the comm channels work? Like, because Jordy, at one point in this episode, because I started noticing, I started thinking about it, so I started noticing... <laughs> Jordy just, uh, apropos of nothing, in the middle of the bridge says, bridge to Captain Picard. And then obviously Picard gets the message. So is it like an Alexa where it will recognise the X to Y and then exclusively open a channel to that person? Or is it just when you press the comm badge, it just goes to all of them? And if so, is Kevin able to just listen into what they're saying if he knows how to work it? I I see, I don't know, because I know... Yeah, that's weird. I mean, it'd be more of a worry if Kevin wasn't already omnipotent, so yeah. he knows. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I'm not bothered about it. It's not something I need them to explain. Like, I'm, I'm willing to suspend my disbelief enough to be like, it just listen. It in, in the efforts of storytelling, Jordy just needs to talk to Picard. Right, that's that's it. It's a weird one where like our technology hasn't gotten better than the um, what they would have on the Enterprise in any way. But our technology has got to the point where we now know that the way certain technology works on the Enterprise isn't how it would work. Yeah. Like, like you say, it, him saying bridge to... He would have to say an activation word to the computer unless the computer on the bridge is always recording, which seems unethical. <laughs> I think it like does. If you have a private conversation at work, like, mm, that's dodgy. Yeah. Like, if you found out your boss was recording every word you say, then again, it is a military vessel. Well, not military, an exploration. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know where I stand on the ethics of recording every single thing that's said on the bridge. Yeah. And also some other random things I noticed. Um, obviously, we've got the new uniforms. We've had them now for a couple of episodes. Um, who does up the zip on the back every morning? Do you need to find another person to do it? <laughs> no, um, I imagine that you, uh, you've got like a little robot in your thing that just grabs a little robot arm, just grabs on it and pulls it up. But it's just not interesting enough to ever be featured. Uh. <laughs> I feel like what that tells me is that in 300 years we haven't invented a better version of the zip. <laughs> well, uh, Gene Roddenberry apparently very, very anti-zips. Um, he didn't. Um, he was against their inclusion in Star Trek because uh, he believed, much as you said there, that there would be a better solution for the future. So maybe that looks like a zip, but maybe you know there's some sort of nanites. Yeah. Or something. Speaking but then of- that's that's very much a you pass butter situation. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of Gene, um, at the very beginning of this episode, uh, so they arrive at the planet and the planet has been completely glassed, right? Yeah, uh, by and, a matte painting. Yeah, by a matte painting. And <laughs> then they discover the the Kevin's house. And they're yeah. like, right, this is weird. Uh, we should go down and have a look at this. So Picard, a good captain, turns to Riker, his exo, <laughs> And says, "Yeah, I, I can't remember the line, but he's like, well, looks like uh, looks like you're going down there, eh? Yeah, got, uh, got to find out who's there. Now, that's good captaining, whereas Kirk would probably have been like, oh, this looks exciting. Let's all go and look. Child, you are in charge of the bridge. <laughs> Picard would get the information news. Like, we detected one house. And he goes, oh, right, okay. Does it look like I can fuck it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, there are two life signs, Captain. 
Beam me down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a 50-50 chance. Um, so uh, I love that when they do beam down, Riker gets caught by a fucking Looney Tunes fucking trap. <laughs> yeah. And dangled by his leg. And then has to conduct a negotiation upside down. <laughs> Especially because his negotiation is just, oh, can I come in? Yeah. <laughs> I liked as well that um so the so Kevin, the god, uh he so before we get there, Worf is like there's two people inside, one of them's near the back, one of them's near the front. And also there's a phaser, but the phaser's non operable, it's broken. And then Kevin comes out holding the phaser at them, telling them to get off his land. Yeah. Um and they're like fine, whatever. The phaser doesn't work. And then I, I really like that Worf has respect for him. For trying it, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, he's like, uh, yeah, that's a uh, like you you tried to bluff us with a, a weapon that doesn't work, and he's like, yeah, no, good call, I did the same, yeah, <laughs> which, which is weird because Klingon's not really known for like deception. No, but it's having the it's, it takes a certain amount of balls to do, yeah, it. yeah, and I, I feel like Worf gets like a really interesting little character arc in this that that maybe got put in the sidelines, which is. He obviously in the beginning he recognizes that the gun doesn't work. He tells him he has respect for him, but then when they get back to the the Enterprise and the warship just appears, well, yeah, he's already. He, it's important to note that he has staked his reputation on the fact that the there is no ship in this system. Yeah, and he's like, and Picard's like, oh, I know a story of somebody who hid a ship in a system once, and there's like, in all due respect, they weren't as thorough as me. Nothing gets by me, and then a giant ship turns up, and Picard literally says to his face, "Basically, you stake your reputation on this. You no longer have a reputation. You fucking idiot." Yeah, yeah. And, and then, then later, when they understand a little bit more about what's going on, Picard yeah. has to give him a little bit of a pep talk. Like, listen, your last mistake. Don't worry about it. All right. <laughs> makes, it makes sense now that we know more things that you did that. Yeah. <laughs> I also like um, Wolf's little when he beams down with Picard and they're in uh, they're in the the people's house having tea, and uh, his only line is uh, his only line is good tea, yeah, nice house, <laughs> the bare minimum, but still very polite. <laughs> um, yeah, so so they they beam down, and uh, they're like the, the Kevin and his wife Deshauna Rishona, uh, yeah, something like that. Kevin Uxbridge yeah. and Rishon, I assume, Uxbridge. And they're like, nah, we're not leaving, we're staying here, uh, don't worry about it. And then Picard comes back with a replicator. Yeah. Is this the first time we've seen a replicator unit? Yeah, I know. we've seen it like in the wall alcove, but yeah. yeah, I've not seen what it... I assumed that maybe... Like, the thing is, well, is that that's, that's, doesn't, that's got an internal power source. Like, yeah. it's not hooked up to anything. That's like... Is, I would assume that you needed, like, warp... Like, not the, the ability to, like, use a warp core to travel, but, like, to generate enough power to spontaneously generate fucking matter. Uh. Well, isn't it that the, the nacelles, when you're travelling through space, the reason that they seem to have an unlimited amount of uh, replicator stuff is that the nacelles actually pick pick up matter? Yeah. To, to then reconstitute. But then, from what I understand as well, there is a plot point in Voyager where it's like, mm, we need to ration this stuff. Like, <laughs> it, it, this ain't going to last forever. Not with Tom Paris' hobbies. 
Like that guy, <laughs> that guy has printed so many, so many instruments. Uh, you would not believe it. Like, do you know what I mean? Just, 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 just be an O'Brien. Just pick one, and just get real good at it. At the cello. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, <coughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know because, like, so it depends on how replicators work. Because if it's just moving atoms around to like into position then maybe but if it's like putting atoms together from fundamental particles then that requires like nuclear bomb levels of energy because that's how much energy is in atoms because that's where nuclear bomb explosions come from i don't know because uh, they because they do when when troy's busy ignoring the song inside ignoring everybody to listen to the tune inside their head um they do yeah. bring up that the house has its own fusion generator with enough power for five years Oh yeah, yeah, they do. Forgot about that. Yeah. Oh yeah, so they're fine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> These. Uh, by the way, I, I, I want to point out the um, the the people in this are supposed to be in their eighties, but the the actress um, who's um, to point out the two pe- the two old people in this are played by uh, Anne Henney and John Anderson. And Anne Henney, if you're you will probably know because she was Jim Carrey's assistant in Liar Liar. Yes, that's where. Yep. Yep. She is um, the president's secretary in The American President, uh, which is the Aaron Sorkin movie that they basically turn to the West Wing. Uh, and she's in Mrs. Doubtfire as well. Yeah. Um, thought I'd recognise uh, She's got a very but, distinct voice. Yeah, and John Anderson, who I thought was kind of a nobody, because I was like, I don't recognise him for anything. I looked it up. He was in Psycho. So this is like oh, wow. top tier... Like things, but yeah, they're playing eighties. Um, Anne Henny died in two thousand and one, and she was only sixty-seven. So when they made this, she was maybe she was in her fifties, and they were like, "Is are they?" So I have a question: Are they suggesting that it, there's two things that could be happening here? One is that in Hollywood's eyes, the minute you're over fifty, you're essentially dead. Yeah, so that's we yeah, can that's whatever. It. Or is it that in Starfleet, medical technology is so improved that by the time you're 80, you look like, like a 50-year-old? Oh, yeah, it's both. <laughs> but also, I would posit that um, if you if you had the, the godlike ability to, to, to sort of re... To, to sort of bring the love of your life back from the dead... Do you know what I mean? You're gonna, you're gonna bring her back at the time when you were like most attracted to her. I mean, they could have both been twenty. Because uh, like, oh, I suppose Dayton had read the logs, so they knew what age they were supposed to be. Yeah, like I, I really like being thirty-four. I think I'm doing well. Um, I'm very, very attracted to my partner. Uh, you know, oh, this is a fun hole that I'm digging now. Um, <laughs> uh, Laura, very attracted to you. Hope you hope I hope, hope you know that. Um, but you know, if if we got to eighties and I discovered I had the power of a god, and then she got wiped out fighting for a cause, I know what cause it would be. Um, then, <laughs> and I was like, well, now that now that the, the, the now that they've blown up this entire planet, and I just get to spend time with her all the time, I'd just be like, you know what, I'm going to make myself 34 again, and her that, that age as well, and then just every time yeah. she's like, how come it's been 100 years and I'm still 31? I'd be like, I don't know, magic, whatever. 
Well, well, that's the thing. She's a construct, so you could just make it so she never has that thought. Which is there is an oh, element of that going on. That's a, that's a slippery slope in it, though. That's <laughs> well, they lead. That's the thing as well, because like, so at the, the, what is this guy's end plan? Because he's like, yeah. oh, she died. I wiped out everybody on the thing, so I wiped out their entire race, and I brought a construct of my wife back. Now I am only aging, like to fit in. Yeah. But now I've brought her back as a construct, and I can just like, if she ever asks questions, I can just get rid of her and then bring her back as a fresh construct who doesn't remember any of this shit, right? Yeah, you get you get to fifty first dates it. Yeah, exactly. So, like, is he going to be? Because they leave him behind rather than you know. Like, okay, I don't know where godlike super beings rank, but Kevin Uxbridge, the human he is pretending to be, is a Federation citizen, right? And he has committed a genocide and should stand trial. And he's as on like such. a Q level. Yeah, easy. Yeah, and and and, and the thing is as well, like I, he's he, he's shown throughout to be like very ethical. He doesn't want to like engage in anything, do anything. And it was only this moment of absolute grief that made him commit. Again, a genocide. Like, not even just like a, a genocide by human standards. Like, he wiped out 50 billion people, right? That's, that's like, yeah, it is a, it, you say cute, it's a Thanos level event. Yeah. Like, right. And those people had hopes and dreams. Yeah. You know what I mean? They might have been evil dreams. They might have been evil hopes. But that's, that's, <laughs> yeah. who, who are you to decide? Yeah. <laughs> so, like, because he's considerably like he's so ethical, I'm willing to bet if they'd gone like, "Well, we're going to put you under arrest," he would have been like, "Well, yeah, that's fair." Yeah. <laughs> and then they would have like been like, "Well, we don't know how to kill you, so we can't give you the death penalty. So you're sentenced to, I guess, a billion years in prison. Is that acceptable?" <laughs> and then what happens is, as soon as he hears that, he'll just look at his watch and be like, "Right, okay, just need to fucking." Just need to set this one out for a thousand years, and then by that time, your <laughs> civilization will have been completely destroyed. So I'll be grand. Yeah. So instead, they just leave him on a, a planet where I imagine a beacon nearby. Going, don't go on this planet. There's only one old couple, but actually, secretly, one of them's a god. Yeah. Which I imagine is a, a message that has to be put on a lot of planets in Star Trek. Weirdly, <laughs> here's 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 an idea, right? So you talked about obviously her being a construct, and he can bring her back with whatever thought pattern he wants. Um, I feel like one of the avenues that people haven't really explored for the upcoming robot rebellion um, is that eventually, <laughs> sex robots are going to be so advanced that you will be able to program them with whatever personality you want. Now, obviously, you're sitting there going, brilliant, can't wait, right? But what you're not thinking about is what about all the people who buy sex robots and are themselves, like, super alt-right and just instilling them, like, really fascistic tendencies and then we have to fight off fight off swathes of hot Nazi robots. What are we going to do then? Well... You, you're, you're a suggestion. I think it'll be easy to spot. Uptake- all of one hair color. <laughs> sex robot uptake will probably be fairly equal. So, unfortunately, all those Nazi robots would have to fight all the communist robots that have been programmed by all the left wingers. <laughs> uh- <laughs> yeah. So, I don't know. Because you it's- know what? It doesn't matter what your politics are, where you fall on the spectrum. Sometimes you get lonely enough that you're like, I'd buy a sex robot. In fact, if you're left wing, 
if you're left wing uh, and the robots are not at the point where they have like full sentience, then robot on robot porn is probably one of the least exploitative versions of it that can exist. Uh. <laughs> you're right. Also, that idea, trademark Mark O'Neill. <laughs> Attack of the Nazi sex robots. Don't go, don't go making that in a movie. <laughs> Came up with that the, idea. the thing is, this will, this, this will be the one episode that survives the purge, <laughs> so that I can prove that I caught a law that it was my idea. There's there's two ways you can go with that. Though that that movie is either a James Gunn film or a Roger Corman film. Right? <laughs> <laughs> there's no middle ground. James Cameron ain't making that. It's either a weird high-budget thing they let James Gunn do, or somebody said, I need you to make this movie, here's 20 grand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, love. Um, so obviously it's a naval... It's a naval command structure, right? So see if yeah. you're a random crew member and you're walking along the corridor, and then Picard comes along, do you have to salute him? Or do, do you, like... Because if Captain Picard has to respond to everybody that walks by him and goes, Captain, he's like, Ensign, uh, this, uh, Lieutenant, like, is he going to get sick of that? Like, is there a standing order that if Picard is walking along the corridor, unless he specifically addresses you, just, just shut the fuck up? Like, d- does Starfleet Command work on Beyoncé rules? <laughs> My guess is, uh, I'm going to go on this, I guess that the like official rule is that like when he's coming along, you've got like stand to attention yeah. and out of the way on the side of the corridor so he can move past. Like That's the like letter of the law Starfleet regulation, but every captain is like immediately like, look, we're not doing that. Okay? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, just like nod, give me a captain, and I'll just give you a lieutenant or an ensign. Don't expect more. I can't learn all your names. Uh, <laughs> and... Uh, just, just try not to bog me down unless you've got something important to say. Yeah, uh, <laughs> exactly. I can't be asked. <laughs> no, nah, fuck that. We have one day, Picard day, and that's it. But uh, yeah, I, I can say though, I, even for a fairly like nondescript episode, like I, I, all I could think throughout this episode is what, how much worse this episode would have been in episode in season two. Yeah, big time. Like. From a concept like they got in, like they didn't need to get in, fucking a uh, fucking bit part actor who'd been in fucking Psycho. No, right? That's that's something that they've. Uh, and if you if you're watching this and you're trying to place him, I think he plays the cop, yeah. um, who does like the speech at the end of, of Psycho. That's it. But like, there's so much stuff in this. Like, I really really enjoyed when they're like, oh yeah, a spaceship turned up. It started blowing up the planet. It was so big you could see it from. Oh, that's a thing, because they say that the alien spaceship, the warship, was so big that you could see it from space. And then later on, the Enterprise is, like, following it, and it's running away. And um, it's look, it goes past the camera, and so does the, the Enterprise. And they look... I think they really fucked up the scale, because they look about the same size. My understanding is that the ship that we see pursuing the Enterprise is not... A construct of the ship that attacked the planet. It's just Kevin oh, okay. making one up in his head. Oh, okay. Right. But I don't know that for sure. Could... How does Kevin's constructs work? Could he just... If you... I'm going to say, if you've got the power to wipe out 50 billion people on a galactic scale, have you got the power to bring them back? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I guess, I guess he brought back his wife. 
So could he could yeah. he could he bring them back but just be nice now? And again <laughs> is is that like like they like is is that a punishable offence? Like would Starfleet take more offence to that than to just the straight up Dennis? Because you know what, Eddie, you can't say anything these days. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. If the Borg would have been the ones and instead of genociding them, he just made them not care about assimilating stuff. Like maybe yeah. he made it so they were just really into badminton instead. Would that be right or wrong? <laughs> if they found out that the Borg, like part of the assimilation process is obviously that everything about you, like again, your hopes, your dreams, your aspects, like all of that is given to the collective. Do you think there was ever a discussion between probably Tuvok and uh, and Janeway where they were like, listen, if if <laughs> If we just give Paris to the Borg, right? <laughs> the Borg is going to spend so much time just just becoming Paris that they, they, they will leave us alone for generations, mate. <laughs> I do like this is uh, this is by the way this is textbook great Star Trek when like you can sit there and start having like ethical quote like conversations about so. Obviously, wiping out 50 billion people at a whim is wrong, yeah. right? <laughs> but it would, like, you know, they were evil, but were all of them... This is the kind of, like, philosophical deep talks you should have about Star Trek episodes. Yeah, what is the value of a life? Yeah. Yeah. Because that's kind of when I think Picard's coming from when he says, I don't know whether what you did is admirable, when it's like you loved someone so much that in a moment of anger... No, I mean I don't. I don't get it. I'm gonna be honest with you. Like, I get, I get being, I get being angry. I get being angry. I do. Kill the people who killed your wife. No problem. I'm not gonna disagree with that. Yeah. Fuck the whole ship. Absolutely fine. Yeah. But when it is when you blow the ship next door, <laughs> we start having problems. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I quite like this yeah. one. Yeah, it did quite as it well. Just, it just felt like a fun little, fun little Star Trek adventure. Yeah, no, it's not one of those like great ones that everyone's gonna like remember and talk about. But it's like <laughs> if I was gonna like introduce somebody, if somebody said, "I want you to show me what Star Trek is," um, on average, not not the best episodes, not the worst episodes, just give me a, this is a fairly good average Star Trek episode where something weird happens. But yeah, again, like I say, how many times have they run into like, oh, he's an old man, but he's secretly a god who can wipe? How, how, how many of these super powerful beings are there in this solar, like in the galaxy, that could just wipe out all of the Federation with a thought? Because it seems like it's a higher number than it should be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like the entirety of Star Trek only exists because about six hundred different beings are too ethical to wipe them. <laughs> But what, do, but what do you do? Like, do you put out like a a galaxy wide like uh, like you hit your comm badge and you say uh, Captain Picard to the entire galaxy? Because apparently every old fucker in the galaxy has a comm badge that they can listen in on, right? Um, and just be like, right, here's the deal. Uh, what what day is it? And then you, Picard checks his watch and he's like, right, it's Wednesday, right? So Friday, twelve p.m. We want every single god level being to just pop down to San Francisco and just let us know. I mean, obviously that is, you know, then you're going registering people, which isn't, which is a bad thing in and of itself. Um, 
Oh, yeah, it's difficult, that, isn't it? Yeah, just turn up. Just let us know what you do. Yeah, and uh, wear this badge. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just make one. Just think think about having one, and then you'll have one. Um, but also, what are your you, intentions? Like, a, yeah, but if you're a good, like, super being, like, because this is like, I was pretending to be human, and I met this woman and fell in love, and it's like, but you could just be... Like, like, I get that, you're, that is racist. Like, we're shapeshifters, we hide. We're there's low, uh, however many of us there is about. It. It's like, but you guys could just like be like, you could, you don't have to be secret. It's space. It's weird. We get it. You could just be like, oh, hello, the Federation. We're this. Um, so we're about anyway. Uh, I've fallen in love with an Earth woman, <laughs> and then you don't have to keep it secret and lie to her for. What to you, I guess, is a blink of an eye. Ah, see, uh, the, the problem with that is, and I'm, then everybody starts coming to you with their problems. <laughs> That's fair. Like I've, like I've, I'm, I'm pretty, pretty cut. I'm pretty dried, died, died. I'm pretty dyed in the wool atheist, right? Um, yeah. But at the same time, I don't ever go with the argument. Well, why doesn't God just fix everything? It's like, well, why, why? He's probably got sick of that after about a fortnight. <laughs> in fact, it's in the book. He does, yeah. he does stuff for the first seven days, and then he's like, actually, do you know what? This is a fucking hassle. I'm out of here. <laughs> he tried some stuff early on, and then people were like, I'm going to sacrifice my son to you. And then God turns up and is like, don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> like, oh, I thought, I thought you we wanted me to. And then he's like, I, I don't know. that. Let's say it was a test. But the but the burning. What he doesn't bush, want to say is like no, you misunderstood you, deeply what I meant. See what 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 the problem is, right? Is that is that on my planet, planet Yahweh, a burning bush means something different. You've, you've really Abraham. You've really you've really taken this the wrong way, man. When I said when I, also it's lost in translation. He said you should said that I should like offer you my son, and he went. I meant like you know, in, in love, respect, and servitude, not. That wanted him killed on a rock. I meant an introduction. I meant for you to bring him along to the lunch and be like, uh, "Hey, God, this is my son, Joe." Oh, that's fun. What do you want to be when you grow up, Joe? A plumber. Oh, that's nice. Good, good, good. What that make you a lot of money? But you need, you need, you need to help. You need to think hard. You need to train hard to be a good plumber. Join yeah. a union. Uh, and invent plumbing. And yeah, invent plumbing. <laughs> Why can't you do that, God? Oh, I'm busy. Got other shit on, mate. Separating the dark. At no point in the Bible on. does it say, and on the ninth day he created pipes, right? That was on us. We had to do all <laughs> yeah. that work. Really, That's what the when you look around at the world, when you look around at the planet now, I would say we've created more stuff than God um, in total. Like, he just did, like, <laughs> bugs and shit. Like, he didn't, he, he didn't invent the duvet, did he? Uh, we, that was us. Do you think that would stand uh, up in a court of law? <laughs> isn't, isn't this essentially, and I, I wanted to get into this with you before we started recording, because I imagine you'll have quite a lot to say about it. Isn't this essentially what the issue is with the moment with Dungeons and Dragons? In that Wizards of the Coast created a universe, and then all of the other people are like, yeah, but we created things within your universe, therefore we are superior and don't owe you any fucking money because you can't yeah. because you 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 cannot trade so i, I looked into this and I, 
Right, that. okay, no, screw it. This is getting recorded. We're going on. Right. It's all so, going on this. Right. So, I, I, again, I am saying this, and I am qualifying my position as a man who talks a lot of shit about things he doesn't understand, right? Yeah. But from what I understand, looking into legal experts and stuff, um, basically, you what I can't remember the difference between trademark and copyright. So I'm going to use them interchangeably, even though they are demonstrably different. Um, yeah. but I'm using them colloquially you can't trademark rules of how a game is played so if you were to make a game that was exactly like Scrabble with the yeah. same Scrabble rules that's fine That's the, the example that I was given was that that's, what words, that's how Words with Friends was able to exist because you, yeah. you can't actually trademark those rules what you can trademark copyright is the application of those rules um, but the people who create things for Dungeons and Dragons, they are just using that. And I know that the problem is like, oh, but what about all the podcasts and the TV shows that use them, blah, blah, blah. They're going to have to pay a license. And uh, allegedly, one way to get out of it is simply to say that you're not playing Dungeons and Dragons. Don't say that outright. But simply say this campaign is compatible with Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so basically how it works out is that after years of the idea being, oh, if you play D and D or you create anything for D and D, like third party content, anything like that, that's just fine. Like that's the open license. And now they've gone. Actually, when we said it was fine, what we mean is twenty five percent. Yeah. I don't know the exact figures. I haven't looked into it. But what's been funny is watching the reactions of certain specific people who are like in full-on business relationships with Dungeons and Dragons who have so years a lot of people don't know this years before Critical Role started and became the behemoth that it is there was a um, a little uh, one of the very first Dungeons and Dragons podcasts was done by the guys who make Penny Arcade and it's called Acquisitions Incorporated oh, right. um, and that still runs that still makes and um Jerry from uh, from uh, Penny Arcade put out a statement. He goes one say which was shocking, which was that he pointed out they don't get paid by Dungeons and Dragons for acquisitions incorporated. They got approached by D and D, and he just wanted to do it. And he thought, oh, this will be a fun way to get more people to play Dungeons and Dragons. Back when that was like a worry where they thought the brand was going to die. And then they came up with a bunch of other ways like merchandising and stuff to monetize it that he could get away with it, that he could justify it to his company. And then he was like, yeah, but I wouldn't have done that if you turned out you, you were going to be dicks about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it's like absolutely everybody was pissed off. And then um, they've kind of let out a statement which is yeah, a bit like, oh, we don't, yeah. yeah. We're, we're not, not going to say anything like Critical Role put out one where they're like, we are actively sponsored by D&D Beyond and we have published stuff with Dungeons & Dragons so we can't actually say anything but they were like we consider that the tabletop gaming space is at its best when it is a culture of collaboration and like as as much as they could and yeah basically what happened was a bunch of people were like uh, we who worked at Wizards of the Coast who were against this were like just came out and like and said like to people like sent out emails to other people just outside of the company and we're like yeah so we know from the higher ups at hasbro that all they care about is the bottom line yeah so if everybody like cancelled their D beyond subscriptions that would get their attention so everybody just went and like downloaded all of their character sheets and just did like stopped the um 
the uh, the subscriptions and it like plummeted and they were like, oh, okay, that. Because like, I was going to say, it's unlikely that anybody from Hasbro is listening, but you don't understand what Dungeons and Dragons is, right? That, it's that simple. Leave it alone. Yeah. It's just, a, it is a black box that you put less money into than you get out, right? Just leave it at that. They, yeah. d- don't worry about the rest of it. I don't care about your share prices. Just leave that alone. And if you can't leave it alone, sell it. All right? Yeah. If you if it takes you longer than 10 minutes to figure out a way to monetize pure creativity, don't do it. Yeah. Because the idea as well is what they were saying is like, if I, I've, got, I've come up with stuff for Dungeons & Dragons campaigns and to keep it like somewhere i have it on dnd beyond as like a magic item i've created and now they're going well if ever you make money off that we get 25 percent. and i'm like what and they were like saying oh we were trying to make it about inclusivity like people have to run it by us so that we can make sure everybody's on like not excluding anyone and it's like you just released like i i love dnd and i have the spell jammer books but the spell jammer books having them a race of of people who they're monkey people, Mark, and they used to be slaves. Oh, right? Okay, so don't talk to me about fucking inclusivity, okay? Because, yeah. like, having one black dude in the room would have been like, excuse me. <laughs> just just don't have them be ex-slaves. Yeah. And then maybe that's cool. <laughs> or have them be based uh, on dolphins. Yeah. I'm not against having monkey people, and I think you can do that. And they work, to be fair, all of them have red hair and white skin. Fair play to that, because like, I guess no single artist went, oh, let's make them. No, I'm not going to do that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? But, uh, yes. Uh, like, the thing is, I'm a D&D player and I'm a wrestling fan, so it's been a fucking quiet couple of weeks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh. Well. But, yeah. Yeah. Well, I like this one. Uh, yeah, I like this one as well. Yeah. It was it was enjoy enjoyable, and also I, I made fun of it earlier about the map painting. We see the map painting a lot, and it's a beautiful map. Oh, painting. it's gorgeous! Yeah. yeah, it's gorgeous. The, the quality of the map paintings the map painting? in, in next gen has gone up significantly. Yeah, yeah, it has. But yeah, give it a watch. Yeah. Well, bye. Um, bye. The Captain's Slog is performed by Mark O'Neill and Eddie Edwards. You can follow both of them on Twitter and Instagram. Mark's at RealMarkO'Neill and Eddie is at EdEdwardsComedy. If you like the podcast, you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter and now on YouTube at Captain's Slog. And we have a Facebook page as well. Or if you really like what we do here, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Captain Slog.